You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Um, if you guys don't know Andrew and Lisa Swafford, um, introduce yourself before you leave because they are glowing and radiant with the Spirit. They, um, they are our across-the-street neighbors and, and kind of across the corner, and you get to look and see God's appointments. You get to look and see the relationships that He builds and how He works His kingdom. When God brings people into your life that you just get to love, and He does amazing things through that love. Um, they are miracles. The things that God has accomplished in their life, you cannot explain away by reason or logic. It is completely illogical what has occurred. It makes no sense to the people that have known them for a long time. Um, and now they make no sense to the people who've known them for a long time. Um, but to those of us here, when you hear their story, when you know what God has done, they will make perfect sense to you. Um, And that praise is actually a perfect segue into what I'd like to share this morning. Um, Because it's through what God has done through Andrew and Lisa's life that he's brought some revelation on some promises that he has made to us several years ago. Um, He's brought some revelation on how he is going to accomplish those promises and what it's going to look like on a kind of boots on the ground, practical kind of level. Um, We've all experienced the work in the word of prophecy that Rhea and Amanda have brought to us and have shared with this church. Um, several years ago, they shared with us that there is a great move of God coming in this area, that there is a profound outpouring of his love, of his miraculous power, that he is working and speeding on, his, on its way in this area, the words that they used is that it would transform the South Plains, that it would um, see, uh, that it would impact the nation and touch every part of the globe. That's, that was what their specific words were um, about what's going to happen in Lubbock and the surrounding area. He um, also part of the promise is that this church would be the fourth pillar under that next great move. And we have, up until this point, had no idea what that means. We've believed it, but to be the fourth pillar, what? Like, what? (laughs) You know, like, you hear something like that, and your heart knows it's true. The Holy Spirit tells you, yes, this is true, what is happening. But then our mind is instantly like, well, what's the fourth pillar? Like, what, what is it even? What is this thing that we've been promised? And really, I feel like up until this point, there hasn't been much revelation or understanding as to what that pillar would be or what it means. Um, And then the third promise, that from this church would come the Holy Spirit. That in the area, in this area, the vision that they saw as they prophesied is that the Holy Spirit is in a cage, that he's been caged. And that part of what God is going to do from this church, from the wilderness church, 
is open that cage. And when the Holy Spirit is released, their words were that he would be a Holy Spirit tornado. You receive promises like that and they live in your brain. They are hard to forget. They live in your heart and they cause questions. Lord, when is it? Lord, what is the next step? What are we going to do? What's our part? What does it mean to be a fourth pillar? What's it going to look like when a Holy Spirit tornado comes? What does that even mean? And sometimes questions can turn into um, maybe a loss of hope as time goes on. Um, I can't remember exactly the years, but I think it's been at least six years, maybe more since those promises were shared. Um, And you find yourself possibly losing hope or losing faith that they would come. Um, I know that I have kind of ridden a cycle uh, and I really don't like that in myself, that there would be moments when I am full of faith and full of hope that those promises are coming and will be accomplished. And then there are times when I have despaired and saw no possible way, saw no progress, saw nothing occurring in my life that would say that these things are getting even are getting any closer. Um, and those promises have been living in my heart and my mind more present in the last month than they have in a while. They are kind of there every day, thinking about them, pondering on them. When will they come? Watching and searching what's going on for any sort of sign, any sort of indication that these things are getting closer, that we are closer today than we were the day that these promises were released prophetically through Rhea and Amanda. Um, and as they've, they've lived there, I've, one of the things that I have come to understand is, and it seems like it would be obvious, but for me, when, I, when it emerged in my brain, it felt like well, a, a revelation. But when, it's, when there's a fourth pillar, there are pillars one through three at least. You know, I don't know that there's only four pillars, but there are at least three others. Um, and part of what gives me a great hope is that either those first three pillars have been notified that they are the three pillars preceding this one, or those three have already occurred. You know, I don't, I don't know where God is in that work. I just know that we are the fourth one. Um, and last week I was reading Ezekiel 37. I was actually going through Ezekiel, just kind of like, I'm thinking on these things, I need a word, I need a hope. And when I arrived at Ezekiel 37, there was something that was laid out before me in a way that I had never seen it before that very directly applies to the season that we are in and also how this work, what this fourth pillar means and how this Holy Spirit tornado will manifest itself. Um, I think we're all pretty familiar with this chapter. It's the Valley of the Dry Bones. Um, And I'm going to, so this is kind of talking about the promises. We're part one. I'm going to go through Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, and I'm going to talk about, in a very brief synopsis, what was happening in a kind of a layman's terms kind of way. And then after we've done that, we're going to go back and overlay those two, the promises that we've received and what occurred in that day when God prophesied over the bones through Ezekiel. So let's pick it up at verse 1. 
the, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can you see these bones live? Can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. It's kind of funny if you put it in today's terms what Ezekiel's response was to the Lord. And I just kind of wrote it down as I would um, have expounded upon that if I were told to prophesy over a valley full of exceedingly dry bones, as it was put. But basically, Ezekiel saying to the Lord when he says, Lord, you only you know. I have 36 chapters of previous experience with you that tells me I better say yes, that they can live. Uh, but also, these bones are especially dry and pretty mixy-matchy all over the valley floor. It's not like the right ulna is, can, is right next to the right radius. You know, like, they are strewn about. And um, all over the, so I guess you know if you can, so what are you asking me for? You know, that's kind of what is hidden in Ezekiel's response. Like, it's one thing for God to resuscitate someone who has just died or is even, you know, in the case of Lazarus, three days, four days dead. Like, the skin is still there. All the body parts are still there. It's one thing to believe that God can do that. But to revive bones that have been dead for a long time, all the skin is gone, everything is removed, and they're not even together anymore. Like, that's a leap of faith that I don't think Ezekiel is ready to make in this moment. And I think if any of us if the Spirit came to Avinius and said, prophesy over these dry bones, that we would probably respond the same way Ezekiel did. Um, let's move on. Verse 4. Again he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will lay sinews or tendons Upon you, and will bring upon flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and ye shall know that I am God. Basically, God is letting Ezekiel know what is about to happen with these bones. He hasn't told the bones yet. He's told Ezekiel, says to Ezekiel, This is what I'm going to do to the bones, and I want you to tell the bones what I'm going to do to them. So then we proceed on to verse 7, and Ezekiel turns, and he tells the bones. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I, as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. What? <laughs> like, to see that, to see all of these bones strewn about a valley, Millions of bones. Because as we get further down in the chapter, we realize this is a great army that has died. So it's not like 12 people that happened to die in the desert. It's thousands upon thousands of soldiers dead and all of their bones strewn about. And when he prophesies, all of these bones start to move and return for like one man, for one soldier, all of his bones coming back together, laying as a skeleton on the ground. That is quite a sight. So now instead of tiny little bones everywhere, you have skeletons in an instant. 
Um, and then verse 8. And when, I, and when I beheld, lo, the tendons and the flesh came up about, upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Um, it's interesting to note that all of the flesh, all of the body parts were there, but there was no life still. God had done all the work, put everything around the body, but the body was still not alive. And so we come to verse 9. Then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and as he commanded me, and the breath came into him, into them, and they stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. That's the only response. Like, wide-eyed, jaw-dropped that that just happened. Like, that's kind of like God having a mic drop moment. Dropped it and just like, nailed it. Like, can you imagine what he has seen? And then this breath, this wind blows over this valley. And all of these stand up in unison. Like, I... When he says an army, the picture to me is that they are in formation, ready for the fight, standing at attention, an exceeding great army. But there's something really interesting that comes next, because these, these bones that were dead and dry are now alive, and living, breathing people, living soldiers. And then he said unto me, son of man, uh, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost and we are cut off from our parts. There's something really interesting here. These soldiers are all alive, but in their minds, they are still dead. That's kind of shocking that someone who would have experienced such a resurrection would still have the mindset of a dead person. Like he's talking when he says, these bones that are standing and living now, they are the whole house of Israel. So he's talking to living, breathing creatures, not bones that were dead on the ground. And he says, and these living creatures are saying, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off from our parts. They don't yet see the miracle that has been worked for them. And so, therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and my people, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and you shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I am the Lord, that I the Lord have spoken it and performed it says the Lord. So this final promise is to a people who don't see the miracle, who are still thinking and acting like dead people, confessing that, yeah, I'm I'm moving again, but my bones are dry. I am still, my mindset is I am still a dead person. And God makes them a promise. No, I will deliver you from the death that binds you inside. I will draw you up out of your grave where you are living And I will make you see the life that I have given you. I will draw you out of that darkness into the light, 
And it's, the promise is like when David says, you have set me in a wide place. You have given me room to move. You have given me freedom. That's why the promise is that God is making to these people here. I will draw you out of your spiritual death, your mental death, the death of your heart, and put you in a wide place, a place that is your own, so that you can see the freedom that I have granted you. This is quite a story that God would take people that are not alive, that bones that aren't living, give them everything they need to be alive, and then also take care of the spiritual death that still lives inside of them. He has healed every part of these bones. He has left no part of the death that they endured untouched. Every, every part of death they endured has been reversed, and now every part of them are alive again. It's astounding. And it's even more astounding that this chapter, these verses parallel what God is doing in our region, how he is preparing what um, his, his timetable, his framework is. And I want to go back now and, and show you what God has revealed to me about the work that he is performing, where we are, what, has, what is occurring, what will occur, and what, he's, what our part is, and really what I believe the fourth pillar under this next great move is. Um, so let's start again in verse 7. We don't need to go back through because for us, in our case, verses 1 through 6 are basically Rhea and Amanda coming to us and telling us what God is going to do, making his plan known to us in the way that we could understand it in that moment. Verse 7 basically is now that we know. So in verse 7, and the reforming of the skeletons, we see God establish the framework for the reviving of the army. The outpouring of his love that is to come has been in his heart since the beginning. He has spoken it prophetically, and by this we know that the plan is in motion. So what I mean by that is, from the beginning of time, God knew the work that he was going to do in this place. He knew the work that was going to occur at this time in the progression of history toward the return of Christ. And when it was spoken prophetically, that framework was established in us. Um, the framework for, for what he is about to build and how he is going to revive the body in this area. I believe that why Ezekiel 37 applies to us so directly is because we live in a place where the body knows of God, but they are asleep. To put it kindly, if you, if you want to say it maybe more bluntly, they are spiritually dead. They don't know what any of the things that they know mean. Um, I don't want to put a spotlight on Andrew and Lisa, but I think they know that very well. Um, the, what they have encountered over the past few days has shown the difference in stark detail the life they lived before with God and the life they now live in God. And I believe what Ezekiel 37 tells us is how God is going to revive the body that he has built. Um, I, don't, I don't doubt for a minute that the body as it exists in this region has been fully built by God. Um, the reason I believe that comes in verse 8. Um, 
It talks about the tendons. It talks about the flesh. It talks about the skin reforming around the body. I don't think that there's any coincidence that there are three of those before the fourth work of God in this story. I believe that the work God has done in this area, I think that pillar one is the reestablishing of the tendons, the restoring of the body back together with itself. I believe that pillar two, and I don't know in the spirit how he has accomplished all of this, but pillar two is the reestablishment of the muscles, the organs, the things that give it the possibility to live and give it the possibility of moving forward at great speed. I believe that pillar three is the skin that encompasses these bodies, that, that holds them together, that binds and protects all of these things that are inside. And I believe the fourth pillar is the release of the breath. I believe that is our function in the next great move of God. And it just makes so much sense when you realize that the prophecy over this church, over the wilderness church, is that we would release the Spirit. That is the breath that will make this army that is existing alive again and moving as an exceeding great army. To me, when I read this and the Lord started laying these things over on top of it, I was astounded, and I am more hopeful and more full of faith than I have ever been because of the understanding that he has brought. Because it tells me that he is moving already, that we are in a place in this story that is just before the breath, that is just before that release. Um... And probably the greatest mystery in all of this for me was what does a Holy Spirit tornado look like? What does it mean? What does that mean? We are contending for it. We are interceding for it. Lord, bring the day when the gate is opened and this tornado is unleashed on the South Plains. Like, I'm praying for it and believing for it and I know that others are as well. But we have no understanding of what that means. And again, I don't want to point the spotlight at him. But seeing what God has done in Andrew and Lisa's life brought the revelation of what that tornado is. God had to breathe life individually into each one of these bodies that he had reformed. And because the breath had to be breathed individually, the gate is individual to each life. What I mean by that is the breath has to be breathed in and received by individual lives. The release of the tornado isn't a work that is just like a tornado hits a town, like the one hit sundown in the 1970s and the one in the 80s that brought Lubbock. It doesn't bring mass encounter. It brings a one-on-one encounter. And when that spirit is received, he is a tornado in that life. That's what he means when he says, I will be unleashed as a tornado. Because for the one who receives the Spirit, when, when the Spirit comes in, he will shake everything that can be shaken. He will bring to your mind everything that you have learned that is incorrect about the Father. And he will put that back in the place it is supposed to be. He will cast out strongholds in your life by the force of the blowing. And the reason why the, tor- the gentle breeze that he has been prophesied and described as before is a tornado is because of where we are in the timeline. I really, truly believe that. Because I have seen the encounter of the Spirit go from a gradual working 
to a full and complete upsetting of the interior of a human person. Like what I mean by that is we have experienced, many of us have experienced God walking gently with us, saying, this needs to come out, this needs to come out, here's this peaceful word, here's this new thing, walking gently with them. Now when he enters someone, because of the timeline, and I believe the proximity to when this work is coming, when he comes in, he's like a tornado. This all has to go. This is all out right now. We're throwing it all out. None of this gets to stay, and I'm putting you to work right now. I will rebuild what I need to rebuild, but I need soldiers. That's what he's doing now when the Spirit enters. He is encountering lives like a tornado, a tornado full of love and peace and all of the things that he brings, but it's a tornado nonetheless. He is upsetting and doing away with all of the things that are no longer supposed to be in us and putting in their place all of the power, all of the love, all of the compassion, everything that is required to prepare us for moments like we just prayed for. Send us to those who would wage tragic outcomes. Send us to those who need miracles. That's what he's leaving inside of us by this worrying as it enters, by this violent storm. Um, And man, that brings me great excitement because what he's charged with our, to our church is that we would be ministers of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean it necessarily in the way that it's discussed when Paul and Barnabas and they talk about in the, in the, in the New Testament about being ministers of the Holy Spirit. They're talking specifically about ministering in the gifts of the Spirit and administering the Holy Spirit I mean more on the specific accounts like in Acts 8 when people have received Jesus but they have not yet received the outpouring and the indwelling spirit. That's what he has charged us with. That's what will be the fourth pillar under the next great work. For us to be walking around, for those who know the spirit, to be walking around with urgency, looking for any moment to talk and discuss with any member of God's body and say, do you know the Spirit? Do you know that life? Can I pray with you? Can I introduce to you a Spirit that will take away just by the sheer force of who He is all of these things that have hindered you in faith, all of these questions that have not allowed you to move forward in your walk with the Lord? Let me introduce to you someone who can do all of that in an instant. That's the fourth pillar. We are ministers of the breath of God and ministers of his spirit. That fills me with zeal. Carrie and I have had opportunities to pray with people, to introduce them to this spirit. And other than, not other than, it is equal to leading someone to Christ. There is no difference. The joy that comes between introducing someone to Jesus and introducing someone to the Holy Spirit. I pray in the coming days that we would have the eyes of Jesus to see those that bear his name 
but do not know him. That's the difference the Spirit brings. That's why the church in this region is so asleep. It's because they know a Jesus, but they do not know the Spirit that made him alive. They do not know the Spirit that drew him out of the grave. And there should be urgency in us. There should be urgency in eyes within us to see and to run toward those moments as hard as we can go. Because with any word of prophecy, the sovereignty of God reigns. Of course, it cannot be disturbed. What he has said will be, will be. But something in the mystery that he has done, he gives us a partner. He gives us a role in the accomplishing it. He makes us a partner in what he does. And I believe that faith can speed the day. I believe that walking in what we are charged with can speed the day. Because what he has given us when it becomes an individual thing is an exponential outcome. So the more I listen and the more I hear this one is yours, pray with them, introduce them to the Spirit, pursue them. When I do that with faith under obedience, that one will awake with an urgency I've never known. They will be awakened in the days preceding the next great move. They will be awakened with an urgency that will inspire me, that will inspire us and pull us forward. We have a partnership in speeding this next great work. Our partnership is to breathe the Spirit every opportunity we get. And behold, there will be an exceeding great army. That is awesome. When Rhea and Amanda first came to the United States, the Lord, they, got, they went to the airport and they didn't know where they were going. They just knew they were going somewhere. And the Lord told them, Lubbock, Texas, on the plane to New York, you're going to Lubbock, Texas. They didn't know why. And when they got here, and this was probably 20 years ago now, there were 850-something churches in Lubbock. And Amanda asked the Lord, what is wrong with these people here that there has to be 855 churches? And the Lord's answer to her was, when I do what I'm going to do in this place, that many churches will not hold the people. They will not hold the praise. There will need to be more than 850 churches. Behold, an exceeding great army. Father God, I thank you that you have made us able ministers of your New Testament and of your Spirit. I pray by this revelation and understanding it marks a new day. It marks a new moment in you progressing us toward this next great move. Because I believe that we are already in it. If you are establishing the pillars, you have already established the work and you have already set it in motion. So we praise you now for what has been done. And we say, Spirit, prepare us for what is to come. Give us eyes to see. Give us a heart full of zeal and of hope, compassion, and faith. 
that we would seek and pursue any possible moment to release you, Holy Spirit. You yourself are the fourth pillar. You yourself are the one that will set this army at attention, that will draw us up out of our graves and allow us to see the life that is ours in Christ. I pray over each one that hears this message this morning, the Holy Spirit, they will hear your voice in a new way. They will hear you with a new urgency, a new clarity. Let us ever be at the ready. I thank you and give you praise for what will be done and released through each one in this room. I pray over a blessing over each family represented here. Let us go in peace this morning. But let us go ready. Ready to accomplish your will. Ready to release your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.